Thank you very much, Cindy. It's good to have Cindy in for at least a day or two over the summer break as they get ready to head off up to Michigan or someplace, some foreign country like that next week or something like that. It's good to have all of you this morning. I was a little bit frightened, I'll be honest with you. Looked out just as we were coming in with the choir and I saw the congregation and I thought, oh my goodness, summer has started and everybody was scattered. But thankfully, we filled in a little bit. It's good to see uh, some visitors of the Roy persuasion with us this morning. Glad you folks are here and others as well. Obviously, uh, we we lose some over the summertime and we gain some. It's always good to see some of the some of the wanderers come home at least for a little while, right? Amen. I'm glad you're here. I'd rather be here than anywhere else I can imagine this morning, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I want to invite you, if I can, to open your Bibles, please, to James chapter one. As you're doing that, let me give you a real quick uh, report. We thank you, by the way, all of those who worked during Vacation Bible School. Now, obviously, there was a bit of an interruption to our regularly scheduled programming around here on our Wednesday night, particularly. I know we had several folks that showed up for our regular adult Bible study at 7 o'clock. By the way, we are picking that up again this week, so that was just a one-time deal. Uh, But we had kiddos running everywhere uh, for Vacation Bible School had good attendance. We had, I think, five that trusted Christ as Savior that we got record of uh, this week. And then uh, the kids raised in their penny offering. That's an amazing thing, by the way, that they do, uh, bringing in pennies uh, to give to the missions, uh, to missionaries. And uh, the missionary, uh, the penny offering this year was dedicated to our Manna Feeding Centers. And uh, the kids raised $800, right at it, about $800 worth of pennies. You know, that's a lot of pennies. I had to carry a bucket of them one night, and my back was out for the next three days. You know, anyway, uh, we, we praise the Lord for the excitement about that and just these kids bringing in and sacrificing and bringing in and giving to the missionaries. And we, we're grateful for that, but we're grateful for what God has done uh, through our Vacation Bible School. We'll be praying, if you would, that we'll continue to reach into the lives of these youngsters that have come and that uh, many of them will continue on with their families as well. James chapter 1, I'm going to invite you, if you would please, to stand with me as we read the Word of God. James chapter 1, verse 22, I'll be honest with you, as we get started this morning, it it was a little bit difficult to know a launch pad, and you'll understand why in just a few moments. But the Lord led me to this passage here in James chapter 1. The Bible says, beginning here in verse number 22, "...but be ye doers of the word..." And not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Uh, But whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, And bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. And it continues on in that line. Let's go to the Lord now and ask him to guide us as we approach his word this evening. Father, thank you so much for bringing us here today. I I thank you for the faithfulness of your people who, in spite of the season, it being summertime and all, I know that there are a lot of distractions and a lot of places that people could be this morning, 
But I thank you for those that have chosen to be here, to be a part uh, in your house and be a part of, of what's going on. Uh, Lord, thank you for the gathering of ourselves together. I pray that we will not make light uh, of the opportunity that we have today, nor would we allow this opportunity to pass, but rather we would uh, approach your word reverently, uh, humbly, recognizing that there is in it food, uh, spiritual food for every one of us. And Lord, I pray that you would minister that food to our souls today, that you would draw us to yourself, that, that there will not be anything in me or in any of those that hear that would hinder what you want to do. I pray, Lord, that we'll not just go through the motions, just do the things that we do, but rather that you will meet with us and that we can say when we've left here that it was good to be in the house of the Lord and it was good to meet with the true and living God. Lord, I can't help but think there may be somebody here today that doesn't yet know you as Savior. And I pray that you would draw that person to yourself this morning. I pray that all of your people would be challenged and encouraged by what is given forth from your word today and that you'd be glorified in it all. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, folks. You can be seated. If you've been reading or hearing the headlines lately, you'll know that one of the top trending news stories is anything and everything having to do with what a lot of people are calling fake news. Have you heard anything about fake news lately? It doesn't seem to matter which side of the coin you're on. Uh, one side is always accusing the other of presenting fake news. By the way, before I go any further on that, can I just tell you that the only thing that you can abs- be absolutely certain of uh, the, the truthfulness of it is found in your Bible. Okay, if you read it in the Bible, it's absolutely true. No doubt about it. If you read it in the newspaper, mm, maybe. Right. Uh, But having said that, everyone is accusing everyone else of producing or spreading fake news. It's almost like two young children standing in the playground having an argument that runs something like this. Uh Uh-huh. 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 And so on ad infinitum, right? You've heard that argument, right? I hear it seems like daily, uh, lately on a daily basis. I got some humorous headlines in an email recently with the subject line, Why We Must Not Let Newspapers Die. You might enjoy some of the headlines. Now, I I'm, 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 uh, understand that I'm editing some of these. I didn't include all of them. I didn't include the full list. Uh, but I'll give you just a few of the ones that I read. Diana was still alive hours before she died. Think about that one, if you will, right? Statistics show that teen pregnancy drops off significantly after age 25. Homicide victims rarely talk to police. Okay, some of you are a little bit slow on the uptake, (laughs) right? City unsure of why sewer smells. Starvation can lead to health hazards. Miracle cure kills fifth patient, and so forth, right? All kinds of things that we think of or we find in the news. I think you get the idea. Unfortunately, fake news or sensationalism in the news is not the only serious fake that we have to deal with. Far more deadly, I believe, to the souls of men and women is what I'm just going to be calling today for our purposes, fake faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Those are two fragments from the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, specifically verse 1 and verse 6. 
As you know, faith is the human side of our relationship uh, with God. By that I mean very simply that our relationship with God and the benefits that come from it are not based on human effort. We believe, and the Bible teaches, that by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That from the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. There's much, however, in our world today that goes by the name of faith, but doesn't pass muster when it comes to inspection by the word of God. Faith in general seems as pervasive as ever, perhaps even more so. We have faith-based this and faith-centered that, athletes and movie stars and pop culture icons and politicians all speak in reverential, if somewhat vague, terms of their faith. Faith has become generic. No one knows, or at least relatively no one, says specifically in whom or in what their faith rests. There's faith in some philosophy or other, faith in humankind, Faith in this system of government or that one. Even the idea of faith can be whatever its adherents choose to make it. I submit to you this morning that faith is not, that is not firmly rooted in Jesus Christ as presented to us in the Word of God in the Scriptures is vain faith. It's fake faith, if you will. Vain means something that's empty or worthless. What I'm trying to say is that faith alone doesn't do anything for anybody. Now, be very careful that you take that phrase in its context, okay? Faith outside of the person and work of Jesus Christ as revealed to us in Holy Scripture is meaningless. It's empty. It's vain. And it does nothing in and of itself. There must be faith in the God of the Bible to do what he has said that he will do. Now, the book of James has a lot to say about vain faith. It's full of warnings and instructions about what real and fake faith is. I want to take a few moments of your time today to run as quickly as possible through the book of James. I see a grimace or two, and some of you who know the way that I usually preach through books, I said, okay, this isn't going to take a minute or two. This is going to take a long, long time. But understand, or take some, some, some solace, if you will, in the fact that this is not intended to be a verse-by-verse study of the book of James, or is it truly intended to be a preaching through the book of James? What I want to do is kind of give you a summary of the book, kind of a synopsis, if you will, an encapsulation of what is taught within the book of James, specifically with regard to this idea of faith fake, or excuse me, fake faith. That's hard for me to say. It must be even harder for you to listen to, right? (laughs) But uh, with regard to uh, an empty or a vain faith, uh, as we go through the book of James, the point that James is making is that not just any old faith will do. And I believe that the sooner we learn that, the more effective we're going to be as God's servants in touching the world around us with what is real faith. So the message for today, very simply, is fake faith, and I will tell you that we will take at least one more Sunday after this one to deal with it, okay? But I want to get through at least the first half of James this morning. You think we can do that? Oh, you have little faith. Let's get started, right? Uh, What is fake faith according to the book of James? As we begin to start uh, in in the first chapter, and this is the reason why I told you at the beginning that it was kind of difficult for me to choose a launch pad because we're actually going to be looking at a lot of different passages. 
uh, throughout the book of James. But the first thing that I want to talk to you about is that is fake faith is a faith that buckles under trial. Fake faith is a faith that does not stand up under the pressure of what the Bible sometimes calls trials and testings, sometimes calls temptation, depending on the context. And we'll look at some of that as we go through. For example, if you go with me to James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, the Bible says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And then if you go on down to verses 12 through 15, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Folks, we understand, and I'm not going to go back and reestablish for you this morning the groundwork that's given to us in Scripture that all of those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You understand that every one of us in our lives daily have some kind of a trial, some kind of a testing that we face, and that this is a normal part of the maturing process that God works in us. And we're all in agreement on that, right? Now, by the way, that doesn't necessarily mean that your trials that you're going through at the moment are pleasant for you. The Bible says that no trial for the present seemeth to be, or no chastisement seemeth for the present to be pleasant, right? It's not something that we enjoy at the moment necessarily. But the Bible tells us over and over again that when trials come, when temptations come, when difficulties come in our lives, if you will, that we are supposed to rejoice in that. Now, let me ask you something. When was the last time you woke up in the morning and you said, oh, man, there's a trial that I'm facing today, and I'm just so excited about what God is going to do in it? Come on now, be honest. Is that the way we normally face trials? Absolutely not. How do we normally face trials? Well, by tribulating, of course, right? By by agonizing, by, by commiserating, if you will. Now, let me point out to you, if I can, very quickly, that the Bible points out to us in the book of James some improper means or responses to the trials and temptations of our lives. The first one is obvious from the passages that we've read here, and that is moaning and lamenting them instead of rejoicing. Mumbling and complaining, grumbling about the trials that we have, acting as if there were some strange thing that happened to us, as First Peter tells us. The Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptation. Now, divers simply means all different kinds. And God says, count it all joy. Be excited about it. Be rejoicing in it when you fall into divers' temptations. Verse 12, blessed is the man. You know what blessed means? Happy. Now, happy doesn't sound like the thing of uh, the normal, the first word that you think of when a trial comes along, does it? And yet God says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. And he goes on and tells us why. Because when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. We can go over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Not just a little bit, but greatly. Though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. The point is that God expects us to respond positively uh, to temptation. 
And that positive response is based not on the circumstances of our life, but in the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. So we're talking here about fake faith. What is fake faith? Fake faith is a, is a faith, a, a profession of some sort that buckles under the pressures of temptation. In other words, instead of becoming stronger, instead of rejoicing at the temptation, they moan and groan and lament because of the temptation, and they're weakened or defeated by them. And God tells us over and over again in his word uh, that that's not the purpose of trials. Uh, one of the reasons people fall into that trap, by the way, and this is given in the context here in James chapter 1. You've always got to be careful to read God's word in its context. James chapter 1 verse 5 says this, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, I, I, listen, we take this verse out of context a whole lot of the time because we, just, we, we use it in its generic or general sense, and we say, okay, if I lack wisdom, I'm supposed to ask of God. And by the way, that is a promise. God will give us wisdom. He giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But I want you to understand that this promise is given specifically with regard to your response to trials. As we're talking about in the context of tribulation, of testing, God says... If you're falling through trials, you want to know how to respond to the trial. You need some wisdom in knowing how to deal with this. Where do you go? Let me give you a hint. You don't go to the newspaper. They don't know. You don't go to the politicians. They don't know. You don't go to your friend down the block. They don't know. You go to God. If you lack wisdom, go to God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But then there's a warning, verse 6, but let him ask of faith, nothing wavering. <laughs> but he, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. What I'm trying to point out to you here, folks, is that faith that buckles under trial is a fake faith because it is a faith that doesn't trust God enough to ask him for both deliverance and wisdom in dealing with the trial as it goes on. In other words, we we vainly attempt to figure things out and we try to solve them on our own instead of asking God to guide us. You know, the Bible says that there is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will with the temptation also provide a way to escape that you may be able to, to, to bear it. And most of the time what we do, instead of turning to God and saying, okay, God, where's the escape, escape route? Instead, we say, I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm going to get out of this, and usually we just kind of make it worse, right? Because our faith is in the wrong person. It's not in God, it's in me. So misplaced faith or fake faith is a faith that doesn't trust God enough to ask him for wisdom uh, to get out of a situation. It is vainly seeking to solve things on your own and to make things happen according to your preconceived plan rather than resting in the plan that God has made for you. It's ultimately accusing God of doing evil or tempting you to do evil, testing or questioning the ability of God to get you out of a situation or the goodness of God in bringing a situation into your life. 
James chapter 1 and verse 13, the Bible says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. Now, I want to explain to you very quickly that in the first chapter of the book of James, there are two kinds of temptation that are under consideration. One is a temptation that God in other places simply calls trials or tribulations. It's a testing. And there's another kind of a temptation, which also, by the way, it's a test, but it doesn't originate with God, and that is a temptation to do evil. Sometimes, uh, based on our reaction to the circumstances in our lives, we have a tendency to fall back on the human nature, and we become tempted to do evil. We, we become tempted to go against the direct revealed plan of God for us. And so we fall into what the Bible calls temptation to evil. God says don't say that God tempted you in that sense because God doesn't tempt anybody, neither is he tempted of evil. And then he goes on in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. You know what you're doing when you, when you stumble under, uh, under circumstances, when you stumble under trials and tribulations? What you're doing, in essence, is questioning the ability of God to handle it. And so what we do is we redirect that faith. And instead of trusting in God, we begin to trust in me. Or we begin to trust in the government. By the way, that's always a bad idea. Okay? Uh, to begin to trust in any other system or philosophy or manner of thought or person uh, to do what only God can do is always a mistake. But on the other hand, God always has things well in hand. You say, Brother Tommy, God just doesn't know the difficulty of my situation. And I say, really? You think God had never seen anything like that before? Let me just remind you that God's been around for a long, long time. And there's nothing that God doesn't know about. And there's nothing that God hasn't prepared us for. And when we respond in this negative manner to trials and tribulations in our lives, we're actually doubting the ability of God. We don't have faith in God to work it out because we don't think he can. But beyond that, we also doubt the goodness of God. Do you believe the promises of God? Romans 8, 28, a few verses before this next verse that is on the screen there, the Bible says that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You know the promise, right? Most of you could probably quote that verse by heart because you've heard me say it umpteen dozen times, right? And so you, you know the verse. But verse 32 says this, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What is there that God wants to withhold from you that's good? This is not a trick question. The answer is easy. Absolutely nothing. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, according to the first chapter of James in verse 17. Everything that's good in our life comes from God. And when I begin to waver in my faith, when I begin to knuckle or buckle under temptation, I'm demonstrating fake faith because I'm doubting the goodness of God in that situation. And we could go on and on. It doubts the love of God. God doesn't really love me as much as he said he loves me or he wouldn't let these bad things happen to me. Now listen, by the way, let me, in answer to that, let me just say this. Who art thou that replies against God? 
do you really know as much as you think you know? Let me give you a hint. No, you don't. Okay? God always knows the situation better than we do. And we have no right or, or authority to doubt his love in any situation. We have the promise of God's love. We know that it's always true, and he's always going to act on, on the basis of that love. And what I'm trying to get around to, folks, let, let's go to James chapter 1, verse 8. The reason that this is fake faith is because it's double-minded. It has its attention placed in two places. James chapter 1, verse 8, a double-minded man, within the context of what we're talking about, as a response to trials, response to tribulations, he says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. There's an illness amongst professing believers today that God calls double-mindedness. It's a mental illness, right? We've got our mind fixed in two places. God, Jesus said no man can serve two masters. You'll either love the one and despise the other, cling to the one and, and, and hate the other. You're not going to serve both God and mammon or any other God in this world. And God says if you're, if you're buckling under pressure, then you're demonstrating a double-mindedness. And so I'm, I'm presenting to you this morning that one of the primary evidences of fake faith is a faith that always buckles under pressure. Now let me give you some, some consolation before I move on. All of us sometimes respond in, fl in the flesh to our trials, okay? Uh, there, I don't think that there are any exceptions in the room. Every time trial comes in our lives, there's not anybody yet that is perfect enough to always respond positively to trial. But we're getting better at it, right? As the Lord works in us, the Holy Spirit produces in us the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, can I remind you that Jesus never responded negatively to trial? Jesus responded properly to the temptations and the trials in his life every single time without exception. Because he was fully yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. And that's our goal. But while we're in this flesh, sometimes we will stumble and sometimes we will fall. And at those times, we cry out to God for wisdom. We cry out to God for mercy, obviously, and for forgiveness. We pick up the pieces and we go on. If any man will confess his sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we know how that restoration process works. But I'm talking here about those, a person who always responds negatively to trials and tribulations, is a person who is demonstrating fake faith. Secondly, as you go through the book of James, that's James chapter 1, by the way. James chapter 2, actually the latter part of James chapter 1 and going on into James chapter 2, uh, fake faith is demonstrated because it hears the word of God but does not obey it. Fake faith is a hearing faith that doesn't act on what it's heard. Now, we have to get things straight here, and I hopefully we'll get it all done uh, before we get through this point. But let me take you a few places in the Scripture first to establish the groundwork. James chapter 1, verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. God says you're only fooling yourself if you think that you can serve God by hearing the word of God and then going out and doing what you want to. Now, that's obviously my interpretation on this, but that's essentially the gist of what's being said. Luke chapter 11, verse 28, he said, but he said, yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and, what? And keep it. John chapter 13, verse 17, if you know these things, happy or blessed are ye if you do them. 
if you know these things, happy are ye if you do. And we could go on and on through the pages of Scripture, but the point is not just having the Word of God, but actually acting on the Word of God that we've received. The kind of faith that I'm talking about here, this fake faith, is what is often called Sunday-only faith. Or, as my grandmother would have put it, the go in one ear and out the other kind of faith, you know? That's when you come in, you sit down, you listen to a long, boring sermon on Sunday morning, and then you get up and you say, okay, I've done my Christian duty for the week, and you go out and you live like however you want to live the rest of the week. Can I remind you that that's not what it's all about? We're not just here on Sunday morning to fulfill our Christian duty. We are here to equip ourselves to go forth into battle and to live for Christ through the rest of the week. Faith that hears but doesn't obey is about the person who hears or bears the Christian tag, if you will, but doesn't follow through with the Christian life. One who is a professor but not a possessor. One who's got the name but doesn't have the Lord. There's a big difference. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 18, the, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The first chapter of the book of Titus in verse 16 says they profess that they know God. In other words, they say they know me. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. So a fake faith is a fake is a faith that hears the Word of God, maybe even is exposed to it on a regular basis, but it doesn't have any lasting effect on his or her life. This is shown when a person knows a lot about the Bible, but has not been radically transformed by it. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But let me tell you a secret, folks, if you haven't caught on to this yet. As the Word of God penetrates into the depths of your heart and soul, it is impossible. Are you listening? It is impossible for there not to be a permanent and radical change wrought by that Word of God if it's received in faith. Now, the Word of God can be received but not received in faith, and then it has no effect on the individual. I'm going to invite you, if I can, uh, let me see if I can find this. I think it's in the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews. Now, I may be mistaken. If so, we'll move on. But Hebrews chapter 4, I believe, um, verse number 2. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith, and then, and then heard, that heard it. In other words, uh, what he's saying there in Hebrews chapter four verse two is the gospel was preached, but it was it was fruitless, it was vain, it was empty, because it was not received with faith by the person uh, who was receiving it. So there's a person who knows a lot about the Bible, but their life is not transformed by the teachings of Scripture. Then they have a fake faith. Second Corinthians five verse seventeen. Quote it for me. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, our old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. By the way, if you, have, if you don't know 2 Corinthians 5.17 yet, you ain't been listening. <laughs> okay? Uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. 
if the Lord Jesus comes in, if it's real faith, you will be transformed, and radically so. I'm not talking about a minor change. I'm talking about caterpillar to butterfly change. Coming, becoming something completely different than what you were. A new creation in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, folks, we, we, we've preached on this before. You know the concept, or you ought to know the concept. But what I'm trying to show you here this morning is a faith that is not radically changed the life of the individual who professes it is a fake faith. It's not real. It's something else. It's faith in someone who doesn't have the power to change, or it's faith in a philosophy or in a religion. By the way, can I remind you that I'm against religion? I'm for a relationship with Jesus Christ. But religion doesn't change people. Jesus does. James in the second chapter talks about a faith that doesn't work. James chapter 2, verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Verse 18, he says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Verse 20, he says, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? If all you've got is faith and there's no works to back it up, James says, You're dead in a doornail. Now, the doornail part I threw in there. Right? But you understand where we're coming from. God says this is a fake faith. Works, you understand, are always produced by real faith. <clears throat> now, it's equally important that we don't get the cart before the horse, that we don't get it turned around. Understand that by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. There's no one here that is saved by your good works. There's no one here that can be good enough to get to heaven on your own. You understand that all men are sinners. And that was the reason Jesus Christ came to die. He took the consequences of our sin on the cross of Calvary so that we would not have to take those consequences ourselves, so that we would not stand condemned before a just and holy God. And by his resurrection, he gives us the power to be transformed, to be justified, to be changed through faith in him. And he does that. We trust in him. And he does it all by himself, and he doesn't need my help. And by the way, when you try to help God save you, all you do is mess things up. You can't do it. But once you are saved, once you do know Jesus Christ as Savior, once you have experienced this thing that we call real radical faith, everything changes. And you begin to do what you could not do before, through works of righteousness in service to the Lord. So all real faith produces godliness and obvious good works. And a faith that doesn't demonstrate that is a fake faith. Thirdly, and this is where we're going to finish today, fake faith buckles under, fake faith buckles under trial, fake faith hears but does not obey, and fake faith is not compassionate. I have to finish up on this one. Now, obviously, we're going to go on next week, Lord willing, uh, or maybe the week after that, since next week is Father's Day. But we're going to talk about uh, faith that doesn't control what one says, faith that's not wise, faith that loves the world. All those things are found in the book of James. But for today, faith that's not compassionate is a good place to wrap it up. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. 
and that you have love one to another. James chapter 1, verse 27. The Bible says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Many, many times in the Scriptures, and you cannot read the Word of God without finding in it the responsibility of faith-based people, people who truly have faith in God, to act upon the faith that we have by being compassionate toward those that live around us. 68th Psalm, verse 5, the Bible says, A father of the fatherless, a judge of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. Isaiah 1, verses 16 and 17, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7, Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself, from thine own flesh. In the New Testament, we have Matthew chapter 25. And we're not going to go into the passage this morning for time's sake. But Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, as you begin to read it, the king shall say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. As a stranger, you took me in. The rest of the passage, they begin to ask him, When did we see you hungry and fed you? When did we, give you, when did we see you thirsty and gave you drink? And, of course, you know the answer is, in as much as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my servants, you've done it unto me. 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and following, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. Full faith is not self-focused. Full faith looks outward to others. Full faith is concerned about the material, physical needs of those that live around us. But even more so, I submit to you this morning that full faith is always preeminently concerned about the spiritual need of those that live around us. I've told you many times before, if I give a man a taco, he's going to be hungry again tomorrow. Right? But if I introduce him to my Savior... I present him to Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God has a way of taking care of his own. Now, don't forget it, folks. We have a responsibility as God's people to be compassionate toward those that are outside. We have a responsibility to help people with needs. We have a responsibility to aid the poor. We have a responsibility to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. We have a responsibility to do all those things. And can I remind you that those things are supposed to be done by us in the church and not by the government? And that's a different sermon. I'll preach it another time. But this is our job. We're supposed to do that. But not to the exclusion of the well-being of their eternal souls. In other words, we don't get so sidetracked by meeting the material need that we forget that there's an even greater spiritual need. The reason we meet the physical need is to be able to preach Jesus and to see their spiritual need met by the blood of our dear Savior. The Bible tells us later on in this passage that this kind of full faith has to be impartial. It is not a respecter of persons any more than God is a respecter of persons. But I challenge you this morning as we go forth into the week 
I believe many, if not most, here this morning, and I'm looking out across the congregation, and, and I think I, I would signal at each one of them. I would, say, I would, in my heart, I would say, well, this person has faith, true faith, and this person has true faith. And I, I can't say off the top of my head that there's anybody that I can look in your eyes and say, yeah, you're a fake faith person this morning. <laughs> but I'm not the one that you have to contend with. See, you can fool me, but you can't fool God. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. So my question for you this morning is, what kind of faith do you have? Is it real faith or is it fake faith? And having had that faith, what are you doing about it? Is your faith a faith that crumbles easily under pressure? If so, why don't you put your faith in the one who never crumbles, never never falters and never falls? Is your faith a faith that is hears the word of God but never acts on it? In which case, I challenge you this morning to allow the word of God to be ministered to your heart by the spirit of God and allow him to radically transform who you are, how you think, how you live your life. Christian, is your faith a faith that has compassion? For those that live around you. May I remind you that the Bible tells us in the book of Jude. If some have compassion making a difference. And others say with fear pulling them out of the fire. Hating even the garment that's spotted by the flesh. The primary act of compassion that we as true Bible believers exercise. Is when we go out into the world. And we begin to tell those who are suffering. And in need around us. Jesus loved you. Jesus died for you on the cross, and he is your only hope of eternal salvation and life transformation. It's it's good news that we have. It's a great message. But many times we don't express it because, well, quite frankly, our faith is just not all that real. I trust that that's not the case in us this morning. trust that we will be real in our faith. But in the meantime, let's avoid at all costs these evidences of fake faith. Will you stand with me, please, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Father, we come before you once again this morning. We thank you because you have chosen to call us by your name. You've given us yourself to die on the cross for our sins, and you've redeemed us unto yourself. And Lord, you've given us a place to sit with you in the heavenlies. I pray that we will always be mindful of that, and I ask that you would bring about that full work of faith in our lives on a daily basis that you would help us to be real sincere in our faith and that we trust in you and you alone and that you would change who we are and how we think and how we live in this world lord if there's anybody here today that doesn't yet know you as savior i beg of you that they may come that they'll recognize their need and come and receive you as savior this morning lord i want to pray for all your people we need you we trust you we know you we know that you're good May we rest on you, and I pray that your, the faith that we have in you would have its full effect in each one of us and that we would become fully uh, surrendered servants of yours. We ask these things in Jesus' name.